go. So the title of today's sermon is The Trouble with Sin. Um, that's hilarious that Archie and Geraldine are here. I wasn't expecting that because if anyone knows anything about my sin, it is definitely Archie because he had to put up with a lot of confession from me. And uh, you'll all be glad to know he was very graceful. And uh, amen. I'm glad that he was and still is, I'm sure. Um, just to let you know, Arch, I'm swimming the peer-to-peer -peer in a month's time. And uh, I didn't tell you because I thought if you do it too, you'll humiliate me. But maybe next year, eh? Um, right. Anyway, moving on swiftly. I'm going to try and dip in and out of the chat feed. Um, we'll see. And if you want to engage, um, hang on, I don't even know if I can get the chat feed back open again. Let me have a little look. Um, if you want to engage during the message, then uh, the question here to begin with is what is sin? OK, so if you want to type some answers in, feel free and you can change as we go through and you can think about it as we go through the sermon. And um, if there was one scripture uh, that I wanted to sort of like to focus on today, it would be Ezekiel 36, 23, and we'll get there in the message, but it was very hard to pick on one scripture. I just feel like tempted and saying, just this one will do, just have a look at this one and you'll be fine, um, which is the Bible, right? So, um, and there's a second favorite scripture as well, which is in there as well, but there's some more scriptures. You don't need to keep up with all the scriptures today. I've got a list um, from Lola, sin is eating chocolate, triple chocolate cake, amen. Um, there's uh, a list of some of the scriptures that I can send out at the end, um, but I don't need you to follow them. I just need you to know that uh, my train of thought hopefully is in line with them. <laughs> and I'm sure I'll be corrected if not. So sin, here's a picture of a chest and it's a bit like Pandora's box. That's a picture of sin, right? It's a box in Greek mythology that you're trying to keep your foot on and keep it all inside and keep it all locked away inside and don't take the lid off or it'll all go crazy. Keeping the lid on it approach um, to sin. Another picture of sin um, is like being knocked off track. Um, here's a picture of a, of a train being knocked off track. My dad was really into trains and he tried really hard to get me into train sets. But I used to really love racing his trains around the track until they all came flying off, until I got banned from playing with his railway. So, amen. Uh, that's just the way it goes. Uh, we've been looking at spiritual resilience a little bit down in Dorset. I'm part of the Dorset Church, which is part of the Thames Valley. And I'm sitting here in Paul now looking out at the grey day that we all have. Um, so in spiritual resilience, we can think about maybe getting back on track when we've got not get knocked off track that's a picture maybe of spiritual resilience um here's another idea about letting the cat out of the bag um feeling shame the desire to sort of hide our weaknesses it's amazing in genesis 3 uh the first thing that adam and eve tried to do was to hide their sin from god right um this is in verse 8 says the man and his wife heard the sound of the lord god he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord among the trees. So they tried to hide their sin first. The second thing he tried to do was to lie about it. Um, oh, um, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm naked, so I hid. Um, and then the third thing they tried to do was blame someone else. The man blamed it on the woman. And then the fourth thing that they did um, was to uh, blame it on the snake, right? Which is, in a way, a really good picture of sin. But the cat was out of the bag. 
and um, then it was consequences time. Incidentally, the term cat out of the bag is, a, is about being conned in the market. Um, so you go and buy a bag of pigs, you get home and you open the bag and a cat jumps out and you've been conned. That's where that one comes from. Um, there's a few, I've got a few sayings in here today. Um, so we know this is a picture of, as you will see, egg sucking. There's nothing new under the sun, right? So if I'm teaching my grandmother today to suck eggs, which is an English saying, actually, um, comes from 1707, roundabouts. If I'm teaching you that today, just bear with me. Funnily enough, the saying um, comes from, I, this is what I understand it, is that for elderly people, because they didn't used to have any teeth, they used to suck eggs and suck the protein out of eggs so they didn't have to chew it. Maybe that's true, maybe it's not. But if uh, Ben and the rest of the dentist's backlog isn't shifted, that's a tip that might come in very useful to Fun Lola and the rest of us who eat too much triple chocolate cake. Amen. So um, I'm apologizing if you know all this stuff already, but stick with me because even if you know all this stuff, it's really going to help you to help people like me because I feel like I'm talking to myself today. So um, what I'm talking about today is a different view of sin. Um, I'm trying desperately to do my master's degree at the moment, and it's about resilience and looking at academic resilience. But in church, we've been sort of doing a series on spiritual resilience, and I've been happy, ha having a lot of aha moments as we go through. Um, so maybe I'm just slow on the uptake and I'm open to that possibility, but bear with me. See, the thing is, we'd all agree that resilience is a good thing. But what's really emerged from for me is that, one, how very personal that is. It's like a map of the journey of your life and what's affecting the direction of that journey. And secondly, how much we need each other as Christians to help navigate the journey. After all, we're all spiritually speaking, we're all nomads aiming for the same pasture. When we become Christians, something radical changes about the journey, and that's the destination. We change course, we reprogram the navigation systems. But wouldn't it be amazing if as soon as we change course, we could just press autopilot, you know, and that'll be it, right? Relax, just sit back. All right, that's it, God. Take me home. No more worrying. You're, you're in control now. Well, yes and no. I'll explain. You see, we're still here. I'm still alive, still working my way through life. And the trouble with sin is that it keeps trying to push me off course. It keeps trying to push me in different directions. So how have I viewed sin and how do I view sin or my own sinful nature? Well, I'm a bit of a hider by nature. I know in the past I've hated confession really with a passion just hated it like ugh, traumatized by it especially the really difficult stuff to confess it's something i've had to wrestle with all my christian life now that might be just me i'm open to that but i've been taught you see that god loves me but he hates sin and the trouble is i am a sinner i mean i know i'm saved but i can really get bent out of shape by my response to my own sinful nature so I want to look more closely at what sin is to the sinner, because that's, sin is one of the most loaded words in the Bible. And then I want to think about what it is to the saved, someone who's saved from sin. And finally, I want to look at how God wants me to use my sinful nature to glorify him. 
But if I'm going to do that, I need to know myself better than Satan does. I need to know myself the way that God knows me. I need a better view of sin, which is part of me to see more clearly. A pilot, for instance, can use his tools to see storms coming and then he can change course, right, or fly over the top of them. Not always. I remember once being on an aeroplane and uh, the plane got went through a storm and we got struck by lightning. And I remember seeing the flash, right, I was in the plane and it completely freaked me out. And when we landed, I had a look out the window at the plane and there was a big mark down the side of the plane where all the paint was ripped off where the where the lightning had hit us. And my like, oh, goodness me. But amen. Um, God wants us to move beyond the basics, right? He wants us to move towards maturity. And there's a great list of the basics in Hebrews 6. It talks about the basics that we need to get right. Repentance from dead works, faith in God, doctrine on baptism, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment but if you just accept the basics right you can pass the test i mean it's a bit like the way i'm a teacher but it's a bit like the way we teach languages at school i mean you can learn how to pass a foreign language you can learn how to pass french or spanish we teach a lot in, in english schools but it doesn't really mean to say you can speak the language you know the only way to really speak the language is to immerse yourself in it right to go to the country and have to put it actually into practice now, I like asking difficult questions. I'm one of those irritating why children, all right? And I've learned with the Bible, there's a lot of what, but there's also a why. And we have in our church culture, not always encouraged asking difficult questions. But I have always believed that the Bible's got all the answers if you just ask the right questions, if you want to find it. But I've had to get a lot of help with that. It's been amazing through COVID that we've been in a chat group with Chris, with Chris Bertels and James Thomas in London. We call it Deep Diggers. And we love throwing all our really difficult questions at each other. I've been irritating Andy B by asking him to, to, to fact check all my difficult questions and sending him all these, like all my ramblings. And Ben knows because he comes down to visit me in Dorset and then I just rant at him like as we go for a walk. Um, by the beach every single time and he's very patient with me and I appreciate that Ben. Sometimes we can look at things the wrong way and not see what God really wants to see. Let me explain. What do you see in that picture? What do you see in that picture? Any takers? While you're thinking about that, a few things. Sin is spiritual COVID. Wow. Lacking trust in God. Sin, trusting myself and mistrusting God. A girl with a bonnet and a witch. Oh, gosh. Oh, wow, wow, wow. wow. Okay, I can't read that fast. A young or old lady, young woman and an old woman. It's interesting, isn't it? I used to love this picture when I was a kid because you can see the profile of a young lady looking that way, but you can also see the eye of an old lady looking at this way so in a sense the picture is both right it's both things both are equally true but they're different perspectives when we look at the bible we're called to complete unity you know it's one of the last things jesus prayed for and we all have different start points but we're all traveling in the same direction a bit like airplanes in the sky sort of going in the same direction the closer we get to the destination like a busy airport, the more obvious it should be, right? We're all circling overhead. 
But in Ephesians 4 talks about that. It says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit. And it talks about one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, all those things. Another verse I love in Jeremiah 32, uh, 39, it says, I will give them a singleness of heart and action. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. I love that picture of unity, that we're all coming together in unity. This is a great verse, Psalm 86, 11. It says, teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. An undivided heart in the in the ESV, it says, unite my heart to fear your name. Sometimes a heart can be traveling in two different directions. That's just crazy thought, right? And uh, that's definitely not going to end well. It's a bit like this radar and watching my, my, the other, my heart go off the radar in the other direction. Um, that's not going to end well if nobody notices or, or does anything about it and they just drift off into the sea. So on my dashboard, I'm going to put this instrument next to the steering wheel and it's called a sinometer. This is an actual picture of a sinometer probably pronounced differently but this is a sinometer right and i need to learn to read my sinometer so that i know that i'm going in the right direction so we're going to look at sin through two different lenses and then we're going to think about how god can use us a bunch of sinners to prove his holiness to the nations so let's get into it right so what's the best picture of sin my first point, what is sin to a sinner? What's the best picture of sin? Is it um, being off track or, or missing the target? Is it going in the wrong direction? Or is it to do with guilt? Um, let's have a little look at a couple of um, biblical definitions. So the Hebrew, the Hebrews, they were a nomadic tribe and they wandered from well to well or from pasture to pasture. That was their language and their lifestyle. And it was all wrapped around their culture, um, this idea of constantly be on a journey. And if you went off track, you realized it and you could readjust and get back on track. And that's a really good picture of spiritual resilience. So the main Hebrew word there, um, and you'll get this right, hataha, I think it's chahata or chata or however you want to pronounce it, literally means to miss the mark, okay, to miss the mark. There are other words in the Old Testament for sin, like Pesha, which is a transgression, going the wrong way, a bit like when you cheat on a test. I know when I was a young Christian and you first had sort of music downloads and uh, it was a very grey area whether you could download music for free and you kind of knew that you shouldn't be doing it and that was a, a real wrestle, downloading things for free. And now we have lots of ways to listen to music on the internet and not get into trouble. But um, maybe taking a shortcut that gets you into a complete mess. Another word, Avon, is a perversion. And that's when you believe you're going the right way, but you're not. And that can be really deep rooted and divisive. The stuff that you really can't see. Now, the Greek word um, which the New Testament borrows is hamartia. And that was a word used in Greek tragedies, and it was to, to depict the flaws or the defects of a character, character and portraying these as the reason of a potential downfall. OK, so it might just be vu viewed as an act which, for whatever reason, ends in failure rather than success. There are 
there were obviously allusions towards the Romans were using that word as, as, as an archery term for, for missing the target or not hitting the bullseye. You know, um, the New Testament's written in Coine Greek, obviously, which was a, a dialectical sort of version of Greek that was used in the Mediterranean, the Middle East. And um, the, the, the New Testament uses this word, hamartia, for what we call sin or the idea of sin. Now, the origin of the English word sin, it comes from uh, a Middle English word, which is sin, but it's spelled S-I-N-N-E. And uh, that word, again, comes from probably a Germanic root name, word, sunter, or the Latin word sons, and both of which mean guilty. So it would appear that this word has maintained that sort of idea about feeling guilty, something to do with sin and feeling guilty. No one likes living with guilt, okay? But the trouble is our sinful nature keeps rearing its ugly head and, and, and life can become a bit like a game of whack-a-mole. Here's a guy down the beach somewhere playing whack-a-mole. It's when a, a mole pops up and you've got to hit it with a hammer and then another one. And it's a sort of competition to keep hitting the mole on the head. You know, when my sinful nature rears its ugly head, which it does, then I want to whack it. I want to nip it in the bird but I'm just responding to the symptoms all the time. This week, uh, we had some visitors, Martin Luetta came to visit us and they were following us in the car. But you know, when you pull out of a junction and um, the person who's following you can't pull out and they're stuck. So I pulled over on the side of the road a bit further up and I parked over the, a cycle lane and the cyclist was coming up the cycle lane, sort of pulled around me. And then he was like, rah, 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 just sort of, he was like, you know, I got a big mouthful of abuse. And I was like, sorry, I'm really sorry. But just afterwards, I felt so angry. I was consumed with anger. I almost wanted to get out of the car and chase him. And like, what are you doing? You know, what right have you got to treat me that way? And I felt indignant and it took me a surprisingly long time to calm down and that was a little it really confused me how to get rid of that feeling you know but we're all flesh and blood we're all born into this world those who are members of this church for want of a better word we've all studied out sin we've reflected on our sinful nature we've repented we've been baptized and i remember you know getting baptized i remember a few blissful moments after baptism of feeling like that's it i'm clean take me now lord but that feeling didn't last very long and we go on sinning i sinned again oh no um and with that comes baggage right guilt shame judgment sometimes even fear god am, am i safe what's going on and some christians go through that right we go through that doubt or we can go the other way self-righteous no 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 accountability legalistic or be proud and defensive you know, it's amazing how we as parents, we try to protect our children from sin, which is just impossible. But we try, we want to do it. Sentimentality, idolatry, the list goes on. These are all sort of basic human responses, what psychologists would call fight or flight. But you can't run away from your own nature. That's just called denial, right? Um, maybe this is what Jesus meant when he when he tells Paul in Acts 24, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. You know, goads were really long spikes. And I don't want to that, that picture of kicking against spikes is not a nice picture. Um, and that can leave us exhausted, wounded, isolated, defeated, faithless, hopeless, which is exactly where Satan wants to keep us. Right. Genesis 4, 
We know the scripture. We all know the scripture. And this is a picture of, of Cain and who was really angry because his uh, his uh, his gift to God wasn't accepted. And um, it says at the bottom, sin is crouching at our door and it desires to have us, but we must rule over it. Sin is something that wants to control us, but we need to control it. And and it's about knowing the why that's going to help me to rule over sin. You know, God asks Cain that question at the beginning. He says, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? Because he wants Cain to understand his sinful nature as we should all, right? Why am I angry? Why am I lustful? Why am I bitter? Why am I anxious? Um, why am I deceitful? Why am I proud? Why am I envious? So let's look at some things. Sin. Sin is something that we all do, right? In Romans 3, 23, it says we all fall short of the glory of reaching God, you know, and that's traumatic, right? The trauma of not being with God. I don't know whether anyone in this call has ever run out of petrol before. You don't have to confess it publicly. That's fine. But I mean, that feeling of like running out of petrol in your car or even being lost and knowing that you're about to run out of petrol. Um, it was mad, wasn't it, when the uh, the, the planes that the, the they found in the ocean off the coast of Australia, that they think that all the people in it were all unconscious and it just flew until it ran out of fuel and dropped out of the sky. I mean, that picture there of falling short of the glory of God. You know, we all know there are lists in the Bible that tell us what sin is. Galatians 5, 19, 21 um, talks about that. It's a great mirror to help us see our own sinful nature. Ephesians 4, 25 to 31 as well. And those are great lists of what sin is. And it's great to talk that through with somebody. But sin is also the thing that separates us from God. It says here in Isaiah 59, it says our sins have separated us from God. Our sins have, have hidden his face from us so that he won't hear us. You know, how can we be going towards God if his face is hidden from us? Right? It's a bit like flying through the clouds. It's a picture of a jet and it's about to go into this big, ugly, dark storm on the left hand, on the right hand side of the screen. You know, that can be a picture of sin. This is an interesting verse in Genesis 1. It talks about the vault that the, the God creates in verse 4. In verse uh, 6 there, there's a vault between the waters to separate us. There's a barrier. It's almost like a, 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 a firmament, it's called in the, in the NIV, I think, an, an expanse as well. The word it uses is like a hammered out sheet, a hammered out sheet of metal. So there's a barrier between where we are and where God is, right? And um, so we're bound by the universal laws of time and space. OK, we're, we're stuck in time and we're stuck in space. But God is outside of that. God is eternal. You know, in a sense, maybe that's what David means in Psalm 51 when he talks about that we're born into um, iniquity. You know, modern philosophers just can't get their head around this. They get buried in endless debates about free will or alternative realities. But the Bible has the answers that can't be denied. That's the thing about truth, right? You just can't prove it false. Romans 5 tells us that sin came into the world through Adam, who just happened to be the very first man, right? It, it could have been any. If any one of us had been the first man, then it would have been through us. Um, it couldn't have come through anyone else. I, I, I really love how 
Romans uses that picture of an overdraft there in verse 13 or bank charges or something like that. Um, but we can't blame Adam. Um, you know, oh, Adam, it's all your fault. That's the wrong perspective. Like I said, we probably wouldn't have done any better. But it says that death comes through sin. You know, so death reigned from Adam onwards. And because we all sin, we all die. That is an interesting thought. You know, Exodus 20 talks about the consequences of sin being passed down from generation to generation. The word sin that it uses there in that scripture is, again, is that Avon, that perversion. I want to park on that just for a second because that's important, right? A perversion is something that you believe is love, but it isn't. It's something that's dressed up as love. So how does that happen? Why do we look for love in the wrong places? How do we get it so long? So wrong, sorry. You know, my, my, uh, my, my, this, my dissertations about resilience, and one of the things I've looked at is the things that stop us being resilient and how stress and trauma can really stop us being resilient. And trauma can be something that happens to us as, as children or as adults. It can be something that changes our lives in a way that we find difficult to reconcile. You know, when you're changed by trauma, there's a state that we need to work towards of accepting and owning the value of our condition in order to be able to move forward as a new creation. And that's when we get fine peace because we're all made in God's image, right? Who are we to say otherwise? But this is interesting because trauma can't just be something that happens to us. It could be something that happened to our parents. It can be inherited in some kind of a way. It took me years to think about this. So, so my mum, she, my mum passed away about 12 years ago. And while she was dying, she was dying of cancer. And uh, we were planning to spend the last Christmas together. And um, in a way, it was difficult to be around my mum and not get emotional. Like I just felt like I just wanted to just just cry. But really what I wanted to do was just cry and be with my mum and just do it together. You know, there's not an answer to that. I just wanted to be together and cry together. But my mum couldn't do it. And she cancelled that Christmas and we didn't spend that Christmas with her. And she didn't want to go there emotionally. And that really, really hurt, you know, that I, I was that she held me at arm's length and it brought up a lot of feelings that I didn't really understand. And it's taken me a long time to understand. And one of the things that happened when, when I did see my mum near the end, she was on morphine and she was calling out for her mother. Now my mum's mum died of cancer, but she went through that while my mum was pregnant with me. So my mum's, my grandmother died a month before I was born. So my mum had an awful lot to, to cope with. Um, and she decided just to block it out and just to focus on me. I found out later as well that a previous, my mum had been previously engaged before she met my dad and a boyfriend had been killed playing rugby about four years before. So she'd had to cope with the loss of her fiance and the loss of her mother before I was even born. And the way that she coped was to distance herself from emotion. And so growing up, I, I can't really remember my mum being there for me emotionally. She wasn't the kind of hug, I'll come here and give you a hug type mum. She was amazing in so many ways, but that just wasn't my mum. 
But the trouble with that is that I would then look for love. I'm the sort of person, if I don't find what I want here, I'll go and look there. And I look for love in all the wrong places. And as a teen and as a young adult, I was incredibly promiscuous. And I'd throw myself into relationships and throw myself into these just, just crazy situations. Um, and it was, it was just such a, you know, when I look back at my life now, it's just such a train wreck, that period of my life, that it's taken me a long time to really understand why. Even as a Christian, I've wrestled with that, but it wasn't the what, it was the why. And understanding, you know, I totally know that my mum loved me in the way that she knew how, but I also now know that she didn't love me the way God loves me the perfect way and how I look for that love in all the wrong ways but we've all got our stories right we've all got our stories and um one of the things I found in uh, through my research actually is this attachment theory which is really interesting and it's really helped me to think about the wrong ideas of love in a sense um in a nutshell just quickly that our children, when they're securely attached, is when the caregivers are really responsive and attuned to a child's needs, right? That's the, the, the perfect one. That's what God is to us. Um, but this, uh, this box here, the uh, anxious, and I can be anxious, right? Um, it's when the caregiving is inconsistent or unpredictable with affections or sometimes overly involved and then intermittently withdrawn okay so it's just that unpredictability that can lead to a children being anxious about their future relationships or what about the avoidant up here caregivers are not responsive but they're dismissive and often distant they're consistently emotionally disconnected from their children resulting in their children believing that their needs won't get met and then you've got the the fearful avoidant type up there um the, the, the an environment that influences a disorganized attachment involves a caregiver who's frightening or traumatized themselves leading to a child to experience a deep sense of fear and a lack of trust in others despite wanting close connections and if you want to find out more about that stuff it's just amazing right but i'm a bit of all three i'm a bit anxious a bit avoidant and a bit fearful avoidant and that mostly comes from our childhood and the first 10 years of our life that trauma can be inherited um, from our primary caregivers those who love us the most it can also be historic it can go back generations you know we find it hard to make sense of our past because we can't see it the way that, that god does and we want our history to be perfect it becomes idolatry in a sense because our history becomes a, an untruth we, we kind of fake it a perversion you know in this country we venerate churchill right churchill is like the savior he saved england from in the war you know but you go back 20 years before that and some would say that churchill was responsible for the death of 25 million indians who that he could have prevented from starving to death so if you if you're from that generation you're traumatized by that it's difficult to make sense and sometimes there's a disconnect right and i think Again, when you think about now with the, the Black Lives Matter whole movement and the, the trauma, the accumulated trauma over generation and generation, it's just incredible. Um, they're deep, deep waters, right? Very deep waters. But in a loving, safe, grace-filled community, we can draw out the truth and we can rule over sin, not the other way around, okay? James 4, 17. You know, sin is knowing the good we should do, but not doing it. 
deliberately, right? It's easy to make decisions about our life journey, but we don't ask advice from people who are going in the same direction as us. You know, we actively avoid sometimes asking advice because we know we're not going to get the advice that we want to get. You know, Proverbs 15, 22 says, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. And it's a great thing being part of a church community. We have many advisors, even a few car salesmen, like in this picture just here. There's a few of them in your church. If you want to buy a good car, ask somebody that's a Christian. Amen. Romans 14, 23, it says that sin is everything that doesn't come from faith. Well, what is faith? We know that because Hebrews 11 says it's being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we can't see. So effectively, in a weird kind of a way, sin is everything. It's everything. It's everything we see that's under the firmament. Everything. That's a crazy picture of sin. Sin can be deceitful, right? It can harden our hearts and we don't want to listen. We don't want to let love in. You know, if sin is um, that word, missing the mark, what is the mark? Well, here in verse 14 of Hebrews 3, it says that we've come to share in Christ if we hold to our original conviction firmly to the very end. So the mark here is the very end. So what's the very end? Death, right? The thing that came through sin. So my question in my irritating child-like why way is, are we there yet? Well, the answer is no and yes. But for all of us, our time here on earth under the firmament is running out. It's scarcity. To the sinner, sin is a journey towards death. But luckily for us, there's more than one way to die. Sounds like a Bond film, doesn't it? But it's the best ever Bond film. More than one way to die. So my second point is what is sin to the saved? So sin to the sinner is everything, really, being trapped in the time-space continuum and dying there. And the thing that can separate us from God's love, whether we see it or not. But what about to the person who is saved, you know, whose sins have been washed away, who's redeemed, who's set free? What is sin to the saved? Well, Romans 6 tells us that through baptism, amen, we've already died. I mean, Everyone, right, can sincerely, I love it that sin and sincerely, not really related, sincerely means without falseness. It, it comes from the term one growth, pure and clean. But everyone can sincerely repent. But we all sin again. It's why in the Old Testament they had to sincerely keep making sacrifices. But if we repent and are baptised, we're with Jesus. We're already home in the spirit. And here's my second favorite scripture, which I'm not going to read out. But if you want to look at it in 2 Corinthians 3, 17 to 18, it talks about us being with Jesus, that Jesus is spirit and where he is, there is peace. So sin in a nutshell is separation from God and it's everything that is not with God. But through baptism, we're able to die, die another way and to enter into eternal life through Jesus. We're with him in spirit. We're no longer bound by death. We've arrived. You know, my physical death has lost its meaning. It's just me letting go of the sinful part of myself. You know, if we really felt like we were there with Jesus all the time, would we sin? You know, if we really felt completely loved by God, 
and we're with him, would we sin? That's an interesting question, right? Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. So Paul talks about this in Romans 7, right? The painful realization. He says that I don't understand what I do. For if I, for, for what, sorry, for what I want, I don't do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, it's like a tongue twister, try doing this after half a sermon. I agree that the law is good. As it is, it's no longer me myself um, who, do, who does it, but it's sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I, I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil I don't want to do. And this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin living in me that does it. We're all still sinners. Oh, no. It's back to the whack-a-mole game, right? Am I flawed? Am I really saved? Let me go and check the sin list again. Tick. Yep. Yeah, no, that's me. Tick. Oh, no, that's me. Tick. Ah, I'm still a sinner. Craziness, craziness. But the, here's the deal. And there's another, I've got all my little um, pictures here. This is uh, clutching at straws, right? You can't get plastic straws anymore. Um, if we rely on rules to save us, like the, the Old Testament, right? But we'll keep on breaking them. They're not going to save us. You know, great illustration of that is in Matthew 19, the rich young ruler, you know, will never be perfect just trying to be perfect by following the rules. It's the wrong perspective. We're looking at sin the wrong way. It's clutching at straws. You know, in Matthew 19, when the disciples heard that, they were astonished. It says, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them face to face. And he says, with man, this is impossible. With, but with God, all things are possible. Another picture, and incidentally, the Bible is full of them. To the same extent, Peter couldn't walk on water on his own. He wasn't like God. Even though Jesus called him to step out in faith, he sank. But then Jesus grabbed his hand and pulled him up to the impossible place, right, with him on top of the water. You know, our faith shouldn't be in the rules, of course, and it, but it shouldn't also be in our own perfection and nor our own sinlessness. It shouldn't even be in our own faith. We can't walk on water. Our faith should only be in Jesus. Now, a deeper discussion, and here's me causing trouble, is was this in uh, Matthew 14 a picture of Peter's baptism? Now, I'm just going to park that and move on. But here's the crunch, right? And this is my scripture for the sermon. If I had to choose one takeaway from today, it would be this scripture. And I love this scripture. In Ezekiel 36, 23, it says, I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations. The name you, me, have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I am proved holy through you before their eyes. You know, the word profaned, means hollowed out right it just means made meaningless that we have made god's name meaningless that is deep right in ezekiel 36 it is talking about a new covenant 
the true covenant between God and man and read the whole chapter by all means. But Israel couldn't see it because they had the wrong perspective. They were not open to seeing things God's way. They thought they knew God, but they didn't. And they profaned God's name. But what really struck me about this verse, really struck me, is that God is going to prove his holy through me in front of the eyes of the nation. That he's going to show that he's holy. How can God use me, Captain Unholy here, Mr. Sinner of sinners, how's he going to use me to prove to the world that he's holy? It's been a while thinking about that one. You know, in 2 Corinthians 12, I think Paul really grasped this, you know, that those thorns are there for a reason, right? You know, my sinful nature, in a sense, is a tool which, when I understand it, through which I can reflect God's holiness. Like my weaknesses are how God's power is made perfect, right, for all to see. That's how God is made perfect. It says there, it says, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. That word torment is uh, it means to pound, like pounding the nails into into Jesus. That's where the word comes from, pound or pounding that metal. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness therefore i will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that christ's power may rest on me that is why for christ's sake i delight in weaknesses in insults in hardships in persecutions and difficulties for when i am weak then i'm strong that's incredible right delighting in those things you know that i can master my sinful nature that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to master it, not play whack-a-mole, not just hit it, but be a master craftsman. It's a tool in our hands. You know, I'm, I'm a teacher. I teach design technology. And, um, and I'm often working with kids who don't know how to use tools. Right? So I'll be in one part of the classroom and I suddenly hear this whack, whack, whack. And I'll go to the back of the room and some child has got a hammer out the cupboard and smash their project to pieces. And I'm like, no, I gently take the hammer away from them and give them the right tool for the right job. And I'll show them how to do it properly. Now it would be a bit mad if I went up to them, took the hammer out of their hand and smashed up the toy for them, you know, like, which is sometimes what I feel like doing, but that's not really being a teacher, okay? I'm not supposed to do that. I'm supposed to, to show them how to use the tool properly. And it's a bit like my sinful nature. I need to be a master craftsman with my sinful nature, right? I, I need to use it as a tool that I'm not a slave to it, but I'm a slave to righteousness, to doing it right. I need to know my thorns, okay? I need to know my sore spots, sore spots that they're not just not tormentors, but they're reminders of how holy God is and how much grace is shown me. It's amazing, isn't it, how the, the people closest to us are the ones who usually show us most clearly our sore spots, um, our, 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 our thorns and things like that. Um, funny how that works. You know, and I've got a lot of funny stories. If anyone asked me about some of my teacher stories and about me actually smashing kids work up, ask me, but not right now, because I'm still learning. Right. I'm still learning. And still, when I feel 
anger or when I feel rejection, I'm tempted to run. I'm tempted to hide. But I just really need to understand what's happening in my heart. And that's when the grace kicks in. That's when I can repent. And that's when I can turn back and face towards God. And that's when I'm able to be merciful. You know, if I really, if you already knew all this stuff, then then I'm sorry for like, you know, the last however long I've been. Sorry, Malcolm. But um, at least you'll probably know a bit more about people like me and how to help people like me a sinner okay but in summary really and this is a great great scripture in Romans 6 in summary I know I'm saved because I've been baptized I repented and I was baptized I am with Jesus and I am home you know I'm holding his hand and together <laughs> we're walking on the water together I'm not going to let go right and it's through me that God wants to prove his holiness to the nations but as Romans 6 here tells us that he wants me to use every part of myself as an instrument, as a tool of righteousness, every part. But sin's not going to be the master anymore. But grace is the driver. Grace is the master. And that through my repentance and through forgiveness and understanding forgiveness, through hum humility, these are ways that God can use me to demonstrate his holiness, not through my perfection, not through my goodness, but through his goodness. And that's why I need to be part of a community of grace. You know, we're going to take communion in just a second. And actually, the real name of this sermon isn't the trouble with sin. The real name is abundant grace. That's the real name. Because Jesus totally understood this, right? He totally understood this. And he was the only perfect person ever to live. And he sets this example to follow. And I love this passage. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit if any tenderness and compassion then make my joy complete by being like-minded having the same love being one in spirit and of one mind do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit rather in humility value others above yourselves not looking to your own interests but each of you to the interests of others in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You know, we're coming back together as a family. Hallelujah. We're going to see each other face to face. I, I met with family group yesterday for the first time. We had pizza in the back garden and it was just wonderful to see everybody. But getting back to that place of humility, of oneness, of servanthood, of true fellowship with one another. There's going to be some bumps, right? There's going to be some stories to tell. And if we're going to hear God's voice, we need to listen and we need to listen to each other. If the death of the only perfect person ever to live on this earth didn't get the attention of the nations, 
then my perfection's got no chance, right? But maybe my brokenness, maybe our brokenness, maybe our humility, maybe our repentance, maybe our mercy, maybe our community of grace does have a chance. Let's pray. Lord, it's just so amazing to be together, Lord, to be part of your family. It's amazing that you called us out of sin, Father, and that you made a way, Father, for us to be free. That not by anything that we've done, Lord, but you brought us into your presence. You brought us through death and to life. And now we don't have to fear death anymore. But Father, I really pray that, um, you know, I can't do it on my own, but I pray, Father, that you just bless the church, Father, that as a, as a family, that we can just grow so close together, Father, that we won't run and hide from each other, Father. We won't not listen to each other, but we'll be a, we'll be a community of grace, the community that you died for, Father, and that you want us to be so that you can prove your holiness to the nations through us. Lord, we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.